you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jam DeMatteis, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Defenders, Episode 6, Part 2. We spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the Defenders in the last episode, and we didn't even get through halfway through the book. We, we just finished with um, uh, the Six-Fingered Hand. So we are going to cover the rest of what's found in the Defenders Epic Collection, Volume 6, The Six-Fingered Hand, from 1981 to 1982. Actually, these are probably all 1982 uh, stories at this point. I am your host, Curtis Finsley. And I'm your co-host, Defenders co-host, Jason Schaff. We're going to be covering Defenders 101, which came out in November of 1981. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be finishing up with Defenders 109, which came out in July of 1982. Along the way, we're going to have Captain America 268 from April of 1982. And I think we're going to have a special chime in on that one. Yeah, I've invited our friend Jared, who is my co-host for the Captain America series, um, to pipe in on this two-part crossover. So we'll hear from him when that when we get to that issue there for sure. Um, yeah, well, we don't have any uh, Twitter polls or Facebook comments or anything to talk about since we covered that in the last episode. So why don't we just jump in to Defenders number one hundred and one? Do you want to give us a, a little summary of this issue? Yeah, absolutely. So. The Six-Fingered Hand, the events of the Six-Fingered Hand, one of the, the last big epics of uh, the Defenders' storylines, is over. And the ramifications are widely felt. And one of the things I love about De Matias' writing is that he oftentimes hits the brakes every once in a while to let the events of the previous storylines sink in. And issue 101 is exactly that kind of issue. It's one of these issues where not a whole heck of a lot's going to take place, but it gives you time to spend with these characters and see these characters interacting with the other characters without epic things. The world's not about to end in this issue. Um, but if you've grown, grown to love these characters, like I certainly did, um, it's fun just to spend time with them. Uh, in a much more casual sort of way. So right off the bat, the fallout of the six-fingered hand is that you're going to have Hulk rage quit. He does this periodically throughout the uh, run of the series, and I think this might be his last of the rage quits after this. <sighs> well, he did that even at the beginning of the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. He's known to rage quit a lot. <laughs> He's going to make another appearance uh, down the line, if memory serves, but... I think one of the reasons why he is going to be left off the roster for quite a long time, just from a, uh, a behind-the-scenes sort of way, is that it's around this time when the Hulk starts getting the Banner intelligence. And I guess I just didn't 
quite fit into how the thing was playing or how the Hulk was playing out in the rest of the book. Hmm. But um, yeah, so Hulk, he's going to rage quits. Namor's going to go and uh, take one of his exits. And Nighthawk quits. And at this point, uh, you're going to hear a lot, t- hear me talk about Nighthawk a, a lot a little bit later on. And for me, it was Happy Trails. had my my ins and my outs with with nighthawk but he does get redeemed stand by we'll get to that um but where we start getting a point where we get to spend time with the the characters is we have uh, two groups of the defenders go off to uh i guess kind of recharge their batteries so on one hand you have the silver surfer dr strange and clea they head off to africa and they're just kind of relaxing, listening to some tribes play the music. They kind of, you know, get themselves back into a, a place of, of feeling good about themselves. And there's this fantastic page on 267 of this particular, um, uh, of the epic collection, where you see just how much, or I've always found the relationship between Clea and Doctor Strange quite a sensual one. And some of the artists on the Doctor Strange book over the years have really kind of emphasized just how tactile that relationship is and how kind of loving this is. 267, you get a, you get a sense of that as they're kind of dancing around this magical, uh, <laughs> magical environment, I suppose, as the Africans are all kind of looking up and pointing at them like, what are these crazy people doing? Um, so that's nice. The other story that comes out of this is that you have Valkyrie, Hellcat, and the Gargoyle going off to see Dolly, who's in the hospital after uh, Hellcat's uh, house got blown up. And here's where you get a chance to see Gargoyle kind of coming out of his shell a little bit. Uh, he comes there in full disguise, but quickly starts learning, I suppose, that his ugly appearance isn't all that bad. He's accepted, and in a touching scene, this young child who's suffering from... Uh, cancer and having gone through chemotherapy um, kind of touches bases with him and reminds him that maybe maybe just the looks of everything aren't all that bad. I suppose the other part to this story that's going to have a little bit more longer ramifications is Devil Slayer goes and meets perhaps one of the saddest characters in all of Marvel and that is Ira Sunshine Gross. Yeah. This poor character that the 60s have left behind. He's a drug-addled heroin addict, as it turns out, and uh, Devil Slayer tries to confront him, and at first almost seems like he's going to give Sunshine a a beating, but when Sunshine pleads with him for help, uh, it sets Devil Slayer on a new path of somehow trying to help Sunshine. So in that, it's kind of that's kind of a wrap-up of, of issue 101. But again, it's, it's low-key, but it's all about the characters' storylines moving forward. What were your thoughts? I really like this issue. Coming off of such um, high stakes, it is always nice to have these regrouping kind of issues. And, um, and like you said, they went through a lot individually as, as characters and also as a team. So it makes sense to, to explore this a little bit. And all of, all of these stories... All three of them, except maybe not the Doctor Strange one as much, but uh, but definitely the Dolly and the Gargoyle story, and and just the conversation that Patsy and Valkyrie have in the cab, 
and um, and especially the Devil Slayer one. They they all continue and get further developed. Further we go into this book, um, the Devil Slayer one I really thought was a was a neat issue, primarily because this guy could see through, uh, through see through his disguise, and I'm not exactly sure how he was able to see through this disguise. But I liked how when Whirlin Don Perlin was uh, drawing this page on on two fifty seven. How some panels he was dressed in his outfit, and some panels he just was dressed in street clothes to show the the different perceptions that Sunshine was seeing. Yeah, I also like the 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 touch at the end where they all come together on the last page. All their little adventures or side missions are over, and they're all just sitting on the porch on the stoop, which is a very New York thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> and sure enough, here comes Devil Slayer, and he has a smile on his face, and it gives you a sense of family, even for the most non-team of teams <laughs> in Marvel. Um, and so that was kind of nice. That was kind of nice. It gives you a sense these characters care about each other. They're invested in each other's lives, and they take care of each other. Yeah, I was happy that they that they didn't just jump into action because sometimes even in these regrouping kind of issues, they'll still shoehorn some sort of fight or some sort of battle into there that doesn't tie into kind of the overall story or or set up what's coming up next. But um, but they'll still because it's a comic book and you have to have a battle in each issue kind of thing. But yeah, uh, this one really didn't. Demetrius was very careful to to not include that so that was cool um and then yeah just uh um we have uh joe synod on the inks again and it's that adds i think a lot to this issue because synod is so fluid and so calming in his in the way he inks things Mm -hmm. um he he just gives this all of the characters a sense of roundness and and um I don't know. Everything looks like it flows. The page is well balanced uh, with the blacks and everything, and uh, you don't get that from every from every inker. And I think with a poor inker, this issue may not have been as compelling. You're um, absolutely right, and we're going to get a very good example <laughs> of that a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Not even so much in this volume, but the next one. Okay, where there's some real, and especially also when we get into uh, the new defenders. Um, there were some real, there were some highs and some lows on the inking. Yeah. Even to speak to what you just said, if we look at um, the inside of of uh, Sunshine's apartment, the use of black space within there to just to highlight some some areas, right? Really kind of works. Um, in particular, I'd call out on page two seventy in the lower left hand panel. You have this big black space behind Devil Slayer as he's looking down upon Sunshine, but gives the effect he's looking down upon us in this really moralistic sort of almost tough love sort of speech. He says, I am sorry to say, Sunshine, that I understand too well being a Vietnam vet and how to deal with internal pain. It's a great, great use of of, of blank space in there. Yeah, well, and it really highlights the the text bubbles that are at the top of of that panel because um, the the realization or a devil slayer without devils to slay is like yeah that's that's the the moment he understands that he and sunshine have a lot a lot in common 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look in the top row of these panels on that same page, the black, like the ceiling, because we're not into the age of computer coloring yet, we still get a sense that there's a light on, that light that's hanging above Devil Slayer in the first panel on the top left. Mm-hmm. The light's still on, um, but it's shining down. So you can see the black and the top part of the of the uh, uh, of the panels yeah. there, giving room Good for eye. the giving room for the speech bubbles to be uh, kind of offsetting offsetting the the black of the of the roof or the ceiling. I mean, with the white of the speech bubbles. Good eye for detail. I didn't even really take that into account or notice it. Mm-hmm. Other things about these these panels, it's kind of funny, I suppose, but tragic again. If you look at the panel that you just called into um, into focus on 270, if you look at the next two in that top line, look around Sunshine, you can see all the bugs and cockroaches and spiders around him to really give emphasis on just how grimy this world is. Right, yeah. Yeah, isn't New York famous for having cockroaches and stuff? Like that's, Isn't that a thing? <laughs> well, <laughs> they certainly point it out in TV and movies well, and stuff. <laughs> When I lived in Brooklyn, there in one of my apartments, when I turned on the lights, things went running. Yikes. <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> okay, wow. Well, let's keep on going over to the next issue here. Um, this is kind of where our, our next story starts to ramp up. Mm-hmm. This one's called Mind Games, number 102. What a great splash page. Uh, one of these times when it's like you're, you're stuck right into the middle of something and you don't know what's going on. And I think even... I think he even draws attention to that in the text. Oh, yeah, down at the bottom corner. Now, what you might justifiably ask is going on here. (laughs) Um, And then we don't get an answer. We have to back up quite a ways before we find out what the answer is. So, uh, it's good. Now, I just want to point out that um, we have a few different inkers on this issue. And why do we always point out the inkers? I think it's important to point out the inkers because it really does give a different feel to uh, to the look of the book. Absolutely. Okay, so in this issue, uh, Kyle goes to the sanitarium where he has stashed away his old girlfriend, Mindy. Uh, we talked about that in great detail in the last episode, in part one of the this Defenders episode, so check that out if you haven't already. But uh, it was kind of his ex-girlfriend because she tried to murder him with robot versions of herself. So <laughs> doesn't play well in a relationship there. But he discovers that this place has actually been using her and other telepaths for some secret government experiments. And so we get um, a good recap of sort of what happened in Marvel Team Up 101. Uh, and then a lot of this issue is sort of just narration to bring us up to speed of stuff that has been building and going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But there's a really touching scene where um, Kyle visits Mindy for the first time and she's um, she's not in a very good place and she is painting or something and she, she sees Kyle and gets excited but notices that he is also in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and she laughs at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that was just such a... Um, we think that, like, we don't know where she's at mentally because um, were the events in, Mar- in Marvel um, in Marvel Team Up, was that actually her? Was she in the right frame of mind? Is she getting the kind of help that she needs? And uh, and then we think that she's kind of getting a lot better with her initial reaction. 
but then she sees that maybe uh, I guess maybe she thinks that that is karma that has met up with with Kyle and brought him into the wheelchair and she just thinks it's hilarious and it serves what does she say it serves you right you dirty animal it serves you right and uh, <laughs> just what a what a kind of a messed up character this is even the way the dialogue bubbles are laid out it really gives emphasis you know it serves you right yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and he gets kind of bumped from a side blast uh, the gust of hot wind from nowhere and everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yep. again i my issues with with kyle richmond are <laughs> just i don't know what exactly what his play is here he, he he's coming to mindy because now he thinks he can relate to her because he's in a wheelchair too why didn't you go there when you had legs why yeah. didn't you look into this better when you had uh, the resources to do so it's just it's it's those sort of decisions that are just just groans from me and i know i think i'm in the minority i, I think a lot more people are huge fans of nightwing than i am but but maybe uh, maybe fans because of that like because he is a conflicted character and stuff like he's so self-serving yeah he only goes to mindy it seems so that he can get some sort of sympathy from her absolutely yeah absolutely and i love that she tells him off yep, yep. <laughs> i love that Dave Mateus, Mateus doesn't um, doesn't sugarcoat it. He gives Kyle the tongue lashing that Kyle has been deserving for quite a long time, for several years now, in terms of the Defenders <laughs> publication. And um, and it's not just you know kind of brushed under the table too, because this is going to have major consequences in the issues that come up and come down the line. The other thing I love about this issue is there is a great knockdown drag out fight where Kyle beats the tar in a really savage way of some of these orderlies. Now, these orderlies are, <laughs> yeah. are, are they have guns on them. They're not your average orderlies by any means. But the way Perlin lays out this fight scene, it has kinetic energy to it. It has flow to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was that was fantastic. And, and he does it all I'll, in three panels. He takes out all of these guys in three panels. Yeah. It's it's pretty <laughs> it's good. good. And it's like it he could have dragged this this one out for, for two more pages or so because there's so many guys, but no, they're they're just normal people. But there's in this first panel one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's ten of them. And mm-hmm. so uh one panel he takes out three and then throws another guy into another few and then takes out the remaining guys. He <laughs> looks like he like <laughs> throws one guy's head into the gut of another person <laughs> <laughs> it's fun and uh it, well, one of the things about about this too is that um nighthawk was always like the batman of the defenders right, by design but that also creates that problem that you have with batman in, in say justice league how does he contribute to a fight and he was oftentimes, you kind of see him off panel or, or to the side of the panel, maybe doing a little something, something. But really, the mop-up duties going to the Hulk or going to Namor, going to Doctor Strange, just right. coming up with the right spell at the right moment. Yeah. So this is actually refreshing to see that this guy actually is quite powerful um, in his own right, especially well, at nighttime where he gets uh, twice the strength of a human being and then at this period, three times the strength because he has the trade-off with the paralyzation 
So you actually do get to see that, you know what? He can kick some butt. <laughs> if you get him at the right time of the night, <laughs> watch out. Yeah, and so there's another great page on here, 287. Ooh, fantastic page. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and the following page, like both of these ones. Now, I'm not exactly sure what because so these are like actual physical manifestations of of something because it's not just she's not just playing with his mind and making him believe that he's being attacked by these rats he's getting tore up he's actually getting torn up yes yeah his costume is shredded um he's got a black eye it looks like and bruises yeah and to point out what you were talking about with the inkers too you can a major break. If you look at 287 or 280 and 288, you see these dark uses. You see darkness onto the face, but of uh, Nighthawk. But then, if you contrast that with like 292, you see a much softer ink work, um, and it becomes it came almost a little bit distracting for me. Yeah. The epic collections do a good job of sort of balancing some of the stuff off, but if you read this on the original newsprints. It, it becomes even more stark, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I love what the epic collections do in terms of cleaning things up. But if, even if I can harken back to our last episode, where I talked about in issue 100, when you see those soldiers who are torn up uh, after fighting uh, or after confronting um, Devil Slayer, Nighthawk, and Gargoyle on newsprint, there's a little bit extra sort of grit to that than you would find on the Epic Collection. Still great panels, still still beautiful, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a little something I noticed. Yeah, I don't usually get to compare um, the old comic, like the original comics with the Epic Collections. So yeah, that's interesting to note. Yeah, I love what the Epic Collections do, though. I mean, these make it look so so much nicer. With those exceptions, kind of I just noted... But otherwise, the epic collections really, the colors are so much more vibrant and cleaned up than you find in the, uh, in the original newsprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even on 292, if you look at Doctor Strange's Sanctum in the middle, uh, middle section there, note how the roof doesn't even have any shingles to it because of the inker was kind of, I guess, on a timeline and just kind of slapped it together. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. But they, you can tell that they put on the, the pages that they really wanted to emphasize, like the rats mm -hmm. attacking, like that's Joe Sinnott, because they really wanted someone strong to uh, to be on the on on that really striking page. That really sells it too. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Shall we jump to one hundred three? Let's do it. So let's start with the cover. <laughs> Gargoyle finally makes his appearance on the in the panel box. And my goodness, did they choose an awful-looking picture? Yeah. <laughs> What's oh, actually, no, I guess he's in 102. But he has this horrible slack-jaw appearance up there. Well, and, oh, like, well. The, the face is backlit, whereas the other two are not. So you yeah. get this shadow <laughs> across the front of his face. Yeah, odd choice. Clea looks fantastic. And she, I believe, she starts appearing up there in 102. Um, and it's good to see her because... She's always kind of been in the background, but in this particular section and going forward a little bit more, she takes a much more active role within the Defenders. And uh, yeah, she's a welcome, a welcome presence. 
Um, I also love just the use of the monochromatic blue on the on the cover here. Now I think back to some of these other covers, like there's that early X Men issue where it's just entirely red, um, mm-hmm. and they're they're just really cool when you can play with the mood with just using one color, and you really get a sense mm-hmm. of the 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 gloominess and the foreboding, just uh, because of the, just the blue nature of this cover. <laughs> it looks really cool with the. The, the spirits rising out of the graves there. It's neat. And it's some uh, Milgram art. Yeah, that's on right. One. In fact, Milgram yeah. does a lot of these covers. Um, yeah. I think he did the last one as well with Silver Surfer in 101. And I believe he's, well, at least for this issue, but I think he was also in some of the other issues at this time, also editor. So he had right. a hand in, uh, in a couple of different ways. He was, this, was, uh, this was his project for a while. Yeah, editors get to choose, or d- they get to design the covers. So when you are an editor and also an artist, I guess you get to put yourself on there every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so let's get into this issue, because it's great that we pointed out this cover, because this cover definitely sets a mood. And yeah. you spoke to the chromatic, sort of heavy use of blues and dark spaces. And this is an issue... That has deep roots in horror. So, background to this issue. We talked in last episode about the origin of Gargoyle. That he had made a devil's bargain, literally, to save Christian Borough, the town of his ancestors, by essentially becoming a slave to the six-fingered hand, or servant to the six-fingered hand, and then that would cause the town to, go, uh, to prosper. So here he is, betrayed six-fingered hand and wondering what is the fate of Christian Burrow. So he decides to set off with a couple of his friends and some of the defenders and we get a uh, we get a look at what has happened to Christian Burrow and it is not nice. Um, Devil Slayer comes along he's going to encounter a creepy doll in one of the best panels of this particular book. And uh, I, you, I saw you posted that one as as one of the uh, yeah as one of yeah. the kind of adverts. It's for so this. good. Three oh nine, um, just just brilliant. I mean, here Devil Slayer thinks he's rescuing this poor child, and all of a sudden the child's eyes go big and red, and he's holding her, and you get this look of of horror and expression on his face. For Gargoyle, he's going to have particular problems because he has to face some of the demons of his past. In particular, we learn about. When he was a young man, he had a friend named Jeremiah, and they were playing on, on one of the balconies of the big house, and the kid got knocked over and died. And so now he has to revisit Jeremiah, um, and once again, Jeremiah this time jumps and falls to a seeming death. We get a scene where Clea and Valkyrie are seemingly attacked by a bunch of ghostly hands. They meet up with this character called Simple Joe, one of the only remaining residents, and he tells everybody about how it was not too long ago that a bunch of ghosts rose from the crypts and the grounds. And everybody at Christian Burrow fled. And so things are not good in Christian Burrow, not at all. And we get a sense that the reason why this is is a strange creature straight out of Lovecraftian stories, I suppose, <laughs> in appearance, yeah. called Noel the Living Darkness. <laughs> um, strange origin for Noel. Apparently, it was these angel aliens 
set off looking for cosmic truths, failed in a kind of an Icarus sort of panel on 311 that crashed down to Earth and up rises Noel. But Noel seems to be this, he's depicted as this purple cloud with tentacles. Later on, he's going to make another appearance where he's going to be a little bit more reasonably colored, I suppose. <laughs> oh. And apparently he's the one who causes a lot of these horrific imagery and, and feelings to kind of come up on people. Gargoyle, whose powers have yet to be fully defined, realizes that he can project power from himself into Noel. So in other words, almost like positive energy into Noel, and that temporarily drives Noel off, almost at the expense of Gargoyle's life. But at the conclusion, he lives and feels that he's come to peace, not only with what he did at Christian Borough, but also with his own family. And uh, he has this big smile on his on the last panel of this page. <laughs> Thoughts? Um, I was very surprised to see the suicide scene on 312 when Gargoyle tries to kill himself. Mm. Um, and like he, I guess they could get away with it because he actually doesn't die. But he still makes the attempt and actually follows through with it. Um, it's just that his wings won't let him... Uh, I guess maybe his neck is too strong the, the, <laughs> for the rope to do its job. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I was, I thought this was just, it was a really interesting issue from start to finish. It was compelling with the horror nature that you were talking about. Um, it, it, it did so much to develop Gargoyle in just a little bit of time. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I thought it was really good. Now that what I was very interested in was this issue is very, very densely packed with words. Oh, yeah. The entire issue is so full of speech bubbles. And if you go to page 308, that's the worst offender of them all. Look how many, <laughs> look how many words are on that page. Now, and that, I, it's not a bad thing in this issue, though, because all of his writing, his dialogue is actually very compelling and very poetic and very interesting. So um, I didn't feel like it was a bother to read all of it. It actually uh, helped, it helped the story along. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, I feel like this one went uh, was was quite a breezy issue, maybe because I was just so invested in the story. I think that's and, the thing. Yep. And I, I remember you did the poll talking about uh, what people's sentiments on Gargoyle were, and uh, I think overall it was kind of on the negative side. But I would recommend for those people who voted negatively on this, go and visit this issue. Read this issue to get a sense of the character of Gargoyle. Because this really is the gargoyle-focused issue. This is where we start getting a little bit more definition on who he is and what, how he functions. And artists also, the art on gargoyle starts to develop really, really well here. In my opinion, when gargoyle is depicted the best, it's when you get a lot of the warts on him and his arms tend to be a little bit more spindly. And we're starting to get that look come on here with gargoyle, which I think is was just really fantastic sort of appearance for him um other things about this issue we get the beast entering in and he is going to be with the defenders for the rest of the run um some people will say for better or for worse on that <laughs> one as we get to the new defenders where it becomes almost uh, an x title yeah um in a way and uh yeah, yeah beast uh, wasn't doing anything at this time he was finished with the avengers 
and X Factor hadn't started up yet. And the champions were over. And the yeah, oh yeah, the champions too. Yeah. Yeah, he's a busy guy. He gets around. Yeah, so I guess it was champ it was X Men to Champions to Avengers to Defenders, Defenders to, to X Factor. X Factor. And then back to X Men. He's always a pleasant presence in um in comics. I I'm a big fan of this look for the beast. Yeah. Um but it's a different character, this beast. And we're gonna see this throughout the the run of, of the Defenders. It's a very different beast than you're gonna have nowadays. Or even Stan Lee's beast, Roy Thomas's beast in the early X Men issues. Because this is not your scientist beast. This is not your inventor beast. This is a jokester beast. Yeah, um, he's very playful, yeah. Absolutely. And later on in the Defender's run, he's going to struggle with that as he tries to exert himself into a leadership position. And there's this great, well, I'm jumping, jumping the gun, but uh, just to kind of wet the whistle, I guess, for future episodes, there's this great moment where Val says, no, you're a clown. I'm the leader. <laughs> and <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> we also get the kid merges from Devil Slayer's cloak. Yeah. He's only been gone for a few issues. I imagine his parents were quite upset. But uh, Hellcat decides this cloak is bad juju and folds it up and makes it disappear. So that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big move. Uh, this issue also shows not only Gargoyle is down on himself, but Devil Slayer and Hellcat are also down on themselves. This is the beginning of... Um, a lot of sort of self-realization for all three of these characters that gets played out in the next three issues. And and Nighthawk um, also sort of that began in in the last issue for him. Mm-hmm. But they were really focusing, we're taking all of the characters that, ha- that have a lot of self-confidence like Doctor Strange and we're, we're just kind of shoving them to the side for a little while. And I don't know if that's because Doctor Strange had his own things going on in his own title so Dementius couldn't really play with him all that much. But we really are just focusing on the characters who don't have a home in other Marvel titles. Yeah, Doctor Strange is not going to play much of a role um, in the Defenders going forward from here. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of pops up here and there when necessary. um, In the next issue, 104, he's going to be there and play a pretty pivotal point. But from that point onwards, going all the way to the end, um, and, and the new Defenders, he's not there at all, uh, as far as I can remember. But Clea does step up and kind of fill that role. And Clea, I guess, is one of those characters you can play around with a little bit more. So at least mm-hmm. we got that. Yeah, that's true. We get, that. we get a little surprise cameo from Matt Murdock. He is Kyle's lawyer um, on page 299. Um, I don't even think he says anything, but he's there. <laughs> <laughs> he's always there. Whenever any of these guys get in trouble with the law, he's, he's your attorney for finances, I guess, in this particular story arc. Usually he's criminal defense. So be it. <laughs> he can do everything, that guy. He is. He's, yeah. he's an expert. One thing I think I think was quite fun, and we're going to see this in 103 and 104, is um, where you see the credits and how they're laid out on, on the first right. page, open yeah. page. They, uh, on, in, in this one, you got this great scene where Gargoyle is doing his Ben Grimm impersonation dressed in the trench coat, the hat low and the scarf. But in his rainy day, you see these pieces of paper floating around this rainstorm. Um, and that's where you see the uh, 
uh, the credits listed out. It's, it's a lot of fun. This reminds me of the very first issue of Captain America that Jim Stranko did. It's issue 110, and it's almost laid out the exact same way. Um, there's a row of small panels in the top where a shadowy figure is walking toward you. And then in the bot bottom panel, there is an alley and uh, with a poster on, on it that uh, has the title and some of the credits written on it. And then the other credits are kind of scattered around, written on walls or whatever. But it's, I'm pretty sure that this must be a little um, a tribute to that old Captain America one because it's so similar. Mm. You yeah. Can, you can see that issue in um, Captain America Epic Collection number two, Coming of the Falcon. I'll have to look into that. Okay, the next issue is number 104. It's called Yesterday Never Dies. And in this issue, a man whose family was killed by Devil Slayer, um, uh, yeah, a man whose family was killed by Devil Slayer learns the dark arts, very similar to the stuff that Doctor Strange knows. He uses even a lot of the same incantations and stuff. Um, and then he uses his powers to kidnap Corey as, as a an act of revenge against Devil Slayer. And so the two of them have to face off um, mm. and and he has to save Corey. So this is a big turning point for Devil Slayer because he kind of has to face his past, kind of like what Gargoyle had to do in the last, in the last issue. But what I liked about this one is um, because I don't really know anything about Devil Slayer, uh, there was a, a nice big page of his history, kind of uh, mm -hmm. uh, learning more about him as a war vet and then becoming um, a CIA, no, becoming a hitman for the mob mm -hmm. and uh, and learning just more about his, his relationship with Corey and stuff. So now, are these stories told in earlier issues of the Defenders or like where is Devil Slayer's origins? Where does he come from? Oh boy, he uh, <laughs> we paused and he first appears in um, some of those anthology uh, uh, titles. Marvel Spotlight thirty three, April of nineteen seventy seven is where I have his first appearance. Oh, okay, the Defenders became a, a dumping ground for a lot of these characters, especially the uh, Satanic Panic characters of the <laughs> mid seventies. That's yeah in the wake of movies like the, the exorcist and dungeons and dragons um there was such a surge in these these type of characters and, and they all kind of found themselves to one extent or another in the defenders and so while i've never read marvel spotlight 33 his story is recounted a couple of times in his earlier defenders appearance he's one of those characters that would come in every once in a while and then leave and then come in every once in a while again and then oh, okay do some stuff so he, he's a, he's a great character um, I think he has a tremendous look uh, about him that I find really kind of cool. But yeah, so this is just a refresher. So in this issue also, it, we get a guest star um, because Beast is just hanging around. He's got something really, really important to say, but we haven't gotten to that yet. Not even in this issue uh, do we know what he's talking about. Mm. Um, but he brings Wonder Man in to to kind of be a ringer and help with the fight. And so that's kind of cool, except I feel like Wonder Man serves no actual purpose in this issue at all. 
ex- except that he speaks he speaks the words that Devil Slayer needs to hear. But really, that could have been said by anybody. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what, though, it's refreshing to see Beast and Wonder Man hanging out. <laughs> they're right. the they're the great bromance of this era of Marvel Marvel comics. <laughs> yeah. Um, in those great issues of the, the of the Avengers, where they were always hanging out and joking around and going to movies and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and this is my era of Wonder Man. I I prefer the Safari guy look <laughs> to some of his more later or certainly earlier costumes. He's uh, on the some of the Facebook groups. He's oftentimes uh, given the title of worst costume character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, like over and over again. Oh, <laughs> no just, one gets it just right. brutal ones. <laughs> so, yeah, and this is just pretty much normal clothes. This is his movie star era, right, where he tried to be, get into acting yep. and stuff? Yeah. So uh, he's often, it's oftentimes referred to as the safari look, but I think it was much more of like the movie mogul sort of look. Right, um, with the glasses and such. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, the kind of coat with all the pockets and all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's fun. It is nice to see him. Um, I have a funny story about Wonder Man of this era. Okay. Um, so, when I was a kid, I decided in my brilliance to go on Halloween as Wonder Man. And so I had a red bathrobe that I put on, some blue pajamas and sunglasses, and I was gutted that nobody knew who I was, <laughs> <laughs> including my friends. It oh, was man. scandalous. <laughs> Well, you should have picked his uh, green and orange costume instead then. <laughs> Would have offended everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would have gotten even less, uh, less uh, candy than I did. Um, so yeah, so the, the magician here, Ian uh, Fate, I believe is his name. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're totally correct in pointing out how he uses some of the same spells. I mean, even the band, the Crimson Bands of Kitarak. He's trying to use those against Doctor Strange. But this is also one of these issues where you see Doctor Strange just kind of pulling his punches, pulling his punches until, all right, it's time to end the fight. <laughs> I'm going to end it, sort of thing. I love we get a little bit of demon fighting going on here. Yeah. But really what it comes down, where, where this issue breaks down is the death seemingly of Corey, or is it? Right. Yeah, it was a great bait and switch in this one. Um, but I don't, I don't know which one... It's surprising that the one that affects him more is the fact that it's Sunshine mm-hmm. rather than his wife. It may be because he sees that Sunshine, Corey doesn't need help in her own life. So it would have just been a a sad loss. But that's not, that's not even appropriate to say there because it's his wife. But yeah, I, th- well, I found that he was more affected with the fact that it was Sunshine than it was Corey. Corey's... I find Corey to be an interesting character. And we saw her um, earlier on, I think it was 97 or something, where, yeah. where she was with the, the, the Jesus-like figure in the Middle East and in the six-fingered hand. Right. Um, and she, it's a daring choice, being that she's African-American and he's, of course, Caucasian. So that's, that's interesting in and of itself uh, for the era. But she's a character who has a lot of agency of her own. She has left devil slayer uh, because she doesn't agree with his violent tendencies and uh, we can kind of read into that nowadays with maybe talk about post-traumatic stress disorder being personified in the character of devil slayer Mm -hmm. which i think adds a deep level of gravitas to this character 
Um, so she's a character of agency. He's always trying to win her back, and she's not always having it. In fact, she keeps pushing him away over and over again. So the reason why I think that his reaction to Sunshine is so much more interesting is because in Sunshine, here's a character that he pledged to help. I mean, he took it upon himself that redeeming this character was going to be his path towards redemption. And now this character's dead. He fails. Hmm. Yeah. And he fails in a really harsh sort of way. So that reaction where he is, is, is freaking out, demons of the pit, sunshine, how, how, how? And it looks like he's about ready to lose it and stab Ian Fate with the spear before Wonder Man kind of gets in the way there. But um, that's powerful stuff. My goodness. My goodness. But here's my question to you. Is sunshine redeemed is sunshine redeemed absolutely because sunshine is this character who's pathetic he's a loser um we are made to feel pity for him has he redeemed himself by the end of him well i don't think so he hasn't really done anything yeah i think that makes it all the more sad Right. I mean, maybe you can say that he's the guy who comes to Doctor Strange and says, look, you know, Devil Slayer's gone off and doing this thing, help. But that's it. He never gets that chance right. to take agency over his own affairs. He never beats the drugs. He never makes that redemptive move. And I think that makes this issue all the more tragic. Yeah, because he was... And especially since Devil Slayer was so intent on helping him. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Like this was his cause. Uh, yeah. Wow. Dave Mateus does not, <laughs> he does not play. <laughs> no. Uh, like I said, when we uh, first started this, these characters, Dave Mateus, he, br he drags these characters through the ringer um, in a way that you don't oftentimes see characters of this era or even nowadays going through and it makes for really powerful stuff and I, I always when I was reading these issues I was always reflecting you know if I was a kid would I have would I have taken to these issues I don't know if I would have this is maybe a little bit too adult for for a, a 13 year old me well, maybe not 30, but a 10 year old me absolutely well you may not have just realized the nuance of what's going on Mm. Uh, you because there's still plenty of like demon fighting in the story. The the overall story continues and such. But uh, yeah, to pick up on some of the more finer points like this, um, you don't get till you're a little older. How can how can you if you don't know if you don't experience some of these things in your own life? And this is one of these issues where when folks dismiss comics as being you know just light fare. Um, these are some of these issues you can point to and say, no, there's there's some heavy, heavy things going on in these books. Yeah, and as and as kids growing up on this stuff, I think we're better for it. <laughs> I think we're much better for it. I think so. Absolutely. And this is the we don't see any more of Devil Slayer after this. He's mm. gone, right? He's off on his own path. He may make appearances later on. I maybe I'm in the sure. next book, but not in this book. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this this book he's he's out. 
Um, <laughs> I guess that even adds more to the trauma of it all. <laughs> he just takes off, yeah. <laughs> mm, good stuff. Good stuff. So if 104 was a challenging issue, 105 is not going to let up. (laughs) (laughs) In a story called Rising, we get a two-story or two-kind-of-part story that will then kind of touch bases a little bit later on. So speaking to the the easier of the stories to deal with, um, we have Vera, that is the Beast girlfriend, and we're updated on her. She was apparently put into a coma in an Avengers issue as she was affected by a scroll, I believe it was, with something called the Resurrection Stone. And the Beast destroys this stone. But Vera remains in a coma. So this is the reason why he's come to the Defenders. In particular, I guess Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange calls in Reed Richards. And I love that. I love that because we get a sense. I've always, I've always popped when we get uh, characters coming in to help other characters from, from other books. So this gives me a greater sense of the Marvel Universe and the, you know, the, these characters are all connected. They're all helping each other out. Well, what I also like about it is that Reed Richards usually discounts magic because he's a scientist. Mm. And Doctor Strange is purely all magic and is not the technological uh, genius that Reed Richards is. They're both really intelligent, but they all have their own sense or their own field of expertise. And so this is bringing magic and science together to solve a problem. And you know what this reminded me of is one of the greatest Marvel comics, in my opinion of all time, the death of Captain Marvel, Jim Mm -hmm. Starlin. And when Captain Marvel is suffering from the cancer, they bring in everybody. And nobody can come up with the right answer. So that was probably my first experience with this shared Marvel Universe. I read that when I was really, really young and really first getting into comics. Um, just fantastic. So it, it harkens back to that, or at least to, to me. So as you were kind of saying, uh, Reed is perplexed, and that's when Doctor Strange says, well, we guys, we got to enter into the stones. Reed's like, but how? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reed. But sure enough, they do. yeah, sure enough, they do. Doctor Strange gets it done. They appear in a strange dimension. There they fight these crystal lizards before ultimately coming to face off against a creature made of crystal itself. The life giver, I think, is what she's called, the giver of life. She refuses to restore Vera and begins crying uh, when she's kind of confronted with the problems afoot. And if you touch those tears, or those tears fall on you, you begin to turn into crystal. Now, here's what what, what you haven't mentioned is that the... This crystal is actually an entire sentient world. Yes. And when the beast crushed it, he destroyed the world. It's like, how would you mm. even know that that was a thing? You'd probably feel pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the art is interesting um, here. I quite like it. Um, so we've got to put a pin into that story. And we've got to get into the more, maybe the more interesting of the stories. And that is, we get to return to the son of Satan. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh boy. So, story starts off where the son of Satan has to prove himself by killing a baby. And killing a baby by smashing it with a rock as it's being held down by these other demons. 
Satan, of course, refuses this. And turns out that the baby was actually a demon all along. But this then means that Satan is going to punish his son by crucifying him on a demon crucifix as he's supposed to get stoned by the other devils or demons. Uh, Son of Satan at first seems to be ready for this. He actually says, I am ready, Father, to sit by the prince's throne. I am yours. But as he's getting uh, about to be put up onto the cross, no, he screams. This is a blasphemy, a mockery of all that's holy. And he begins fighting. But the demons just suddenly disappear. And then he is confronted by his father. And so last episode, we talked about the cosmology of Satan. And I kind of mentioned how Satan, at least in this run, is depicted as being, uh, or he kind of like sublets some of his powers or roles off to these other demons that have appeared in some of the other books, Throg, Mephisto, um, and so on. And we kind of get a sense of that here. Yeah. Especially he himself appears in different forms. Yeah. Uh, Because on page 343, he looks more like a the classic depiction with the goatee and the cloven hoofs and, and mm-hmm. the horns and such. And then back on 354, he looks Ooh, like he did in the previous issues. With the exception of the top panels on 354. Okay, so there is a big conversation right there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, so let's go, let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. On the previous page. Yeah. 353. Satan is, is making his case that this dichotomy of good and evil is kind of a false one created for humans. That you can't possibly understand the expanse of emotions and feelings and uh, gradients that are in between. And so after making his, his speech... Myrid names, and I too contain within me an opposite face. Now, we don't see what that opposite face is, but the top panels on 354 seem to indicate that it might be God. Right. All right. You're a man of faith. (laughs) Yeah. Reaction. (laughs) Okay. It is, it's, it's very interesting to think about this as being like they're, they are the same entity, just different sides of the coin. And, but then, and then I guess, does that mean that the, the balance between light and dark, you know, brings this balance to the world or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, why don't we see more of God doing things in these comics? Why do we just see Satan doing things in these comics? Um, without getting to, to like theological a lot of people think that god like the opposite of god is satan mm-hmm. but that's not the case cuz satan according to the mythology of the christian faith is is an angel so the opposite right. of god if god is sort of everything the opposite of god is nothing and satan isn't nothing he's an actually he's a being of his own now the, the other thing is there's a lot of religious parallels in a lot of the stuff that um, that uh, Damon has to go through. Um, there is a famous story in the Bible where God, um, he tests Abraham 
by mm. telling him to kill his son Isaac. And he just wants to see if Isaac will be faithful enough to actually follow through with killing his own son. And at the last second, um, stops Abraham from doing it, saying, okay, okay, I, you've proven to me that you will actually do it. And that's what Satan is trying to do to his son in this one as well, on page 343, the same, the same mm-hmm. test. And then also, later on, when um, Sa- Son of Satan is forced to carry a cross, it's exactly the same setup as you know, Jesus had to do carrying his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem up to the hill where he's crucified, even to the point where like he gets so weak and tired that he can't do it anymore and other people have to carry the cross the rest of the way. Like that's an exact parallel to the story uh, in the Bible. Mm. So I thought this was all really interesting to show, um, just, just to bring to the point that, um, that uh, Damon he is such a conflicted character because if the good and the evil exists inside of Satan, then of course it has to exist inside of, of him as well. So the struggle that he, he, he feels this, he feels torn to these, to being either a good hero or being faithful to his father, um, Satan. But I think he comes to the realization that he doesn't have to feel that guilt anymore because his father is good as well as being bad, if that makes sense. Mm. So I thought that was kind of weird, kind of very it's, interesting. But yet, Satan is awful <laughs> to him. Y- yeah. The last panels <laughs> are hilarious. Your father, I mean, imagine this kind of twisted parent situation. Your father loves you. Yeah. Do not expect to fully comprehend this diamond. Few could without going mad. This is why the memory of this will fade from your mind, leaving behind only a glimmer of what you've learned. <laughs> now return to your human friends. Welp, the sight of you sickens me. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so insane. At uh, one point he's saying he loves you. Then the next day he's saying the, the sight of you sickens him. Um, and it, it, it ties into uh, what we were talking about in issue 100. How full of crap is this guy? He proclaims himself to be the Lord of Lies. Yeah. Is he lying again? That that was what I was going to say. Is he actually, like when he shows this other face of God or whatever it's supposed to be on page 354, is Mm -hmm. that the truth? Or is he just making something up to mess with Damon's mind? I know. And I think (laughs) Demetrius is loving every second of messing with our minds. Yeah, right. He's doing this. But it makes for great storytelling, yeah, um, and and certainly thought provoking stuff. I would, you know, when I was talking about this in the Facebook group, it, it got it went pretty long in terms of the discussion, trying to just unpack exactly what we just read. Um, a lot of theories come out of it that maybe he's lying, maybe this is the truth, maybe. But then somebody also pointed out that there that even if this was meant to be the truth. And you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. But apparently there is a more updated version of God within the Marvel comics, and they call him Jack. Okay. <laughs> so, so take that for what it will, what you will. Jack, oh, um, that's true. That's from the event, uh, Mark Wade's Fantastic Four run. It's Jack Kirby. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then there's also, because um, if you listen to my episode, Doctor Strange, A Separate Reality, there is a fantastic story where um, this sorcerer named 
uh, Sisineg, and the sorcerer reveals that uh, finds out that there's a finite amount of mystical energy in the world and it's being used up over time because people kind of consume it or whatever so he gets the ability to travel back in time to where there's more mystical energy he keeps traveling back further and further and further in time until he gets to the big bang and he has the most unfiltered unlimited amount of mystical energy that is possibly is because there is absolutely nothing in reality at that point Mm. And so then he decides to create the universe, and he is God. Fantastic! Yeah, it's fan- fantastic. it is fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. Yeah. Um, this issue ends on a happy note. Uh, the way that Reed, Doctor Strange, and the Beast get out of the Crystal uh, Realm is. Damon comes back, sees this crystal, and for some reason decides, well, you know what? I'm just going to smash it. <laughs> I know. That was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is making me angry. <laughs> <laughs> and out pops the heroes. Yep. And uh, because now we have uh, Damon back, he is able to cure, uh, being the exorcist, his exorcist roots like they are, he's able to cure Vera, and Vera is restored, and Hank, uh, the beast, does a bunch of cartwheels around him in celebration. That's the fun love. Yep, the fun love and <laughs> Hank that we're we love at this time. Absolutely. Now it was really interesting that there are really only two defenders in this issue. I don't count Beast yet because he only just came for help. He's not technically really in a um, a defender. We only have Doctor Strange and uh, and Damon. Mm-hmm. So, whereas you know, back in issue one hundred and one, where we had like. 10 defenders just hanging around now we've boiled it down to just two uh, so we can really really focus on uh, getting to know some of these characters absolutely well we're going to find out what happened to some of them (laughs) in a bit but one thing I love about about that also is how flexible this comic was you can see on the cover Reed Richards is in the corner box Um, the John Byrne Reed Richards face (laughs) yeah um, yeah, they would uh, periodically. These guys who were just guest starring would appear. I think uh, the Black Panther may have appeared at one point because uh, this is a non team. So of mm-hmm. course you could put Reed up there because it's not a defined a defined team here. Yeah. Absolutely. So joining us for this next issue, uh, it's a special treat because this is a crossover issue, Captain America number 268 and Defenders 106. So I've asked Jared, who is our Captain America uh, co-host, to join us for this this issue. And so welcome, Jared. Thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, anytime. Uh, So let's dive into the issue here. And Jared, since you are the Captain America co-host, let's uh, have you give us just a really brief recap um, of what happens in this issue here. All right. Uh, So Captain America 268, titled Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Man. And it it opens with a cliffhanger from the from the defenders where all the defenders are unconscious in a room and. Uh, some guys come and take away Nighthawk. Yeah, they, they take him away, and meanwhile, <laughs> cuts to Captain America on a date. And after the date, he has a flash, like uh, a flash of pain. Uh, find out later that it was he was being contacted by 
couple psychic people from a previous Captain America issue, 264, I think it was, mm-hmm. who uh, have also been kidnapped by the by the, the bad guys. Um, oh, what was the name of their, their group? I, <laughs> I didn't write it down. Sorry. August Masters. And this is like the Secret Empire or something. A bunch of weird guys who dress like Romans for no reason that's explained in these issues, which left me a little confused. <laughs> yeah, really. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, I think in the previous Defenders issue, he, he says he's from the CID. Oh, no, the C- that's it. CID. Yeah, the CID, whatever that means. I can't remember either. Central Intelligence Bureau. So I guess the cut rate, CIA? <laughs> C- oh, CIB. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then there's probably a CIC and a CID and a CIE after that. Right, (laughs) (laughs) but I I liked this premise of having both of the um, because J.M. DeMatteis was writing both Cap and Defenders at the same time, so bringing in the 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 story about a telepathic person from that from the Captain America side, and then bringing the the story about a telepathic person um, from uh, the Defender side, and bringing them together to form one story, I thought was kind of a cool idea. It is, but there was one thing about this issue that almost made me close the book and throw it away. Uh Uh-oh. And that is that after Cap comes out of his the movie that he goes to with his date, Bernie, (laughs) the movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Cap has nothing to say about it that is good, (laughs) which is an outrage as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I love how on the That's cover true. on the cover it does say review uh, featuring Steve Rogers review of a smash movie and review is in the Indiana Jones font there. But yeah, what his issue is that that Indiana Jones is not a moral person, so therefore the whole movie is garbage. <laughs> it's outrageous. Wow. Can yeah. I also say one other thing? And maybe maybe you can speak to this a little better than I can. Um, but is Bernie the ugliest girlfriend of any superhero? Because the way Zek draws her, Zek, I love Zek's art. Don't get me wrong. Zek knows how to draw big, beefy dudes like no one else. But Bernie is not a good-looking girl by any standard in this book. Yeah, you compare mm-hmm. her to when um, John Byrne draws Bernie. In right, those other John th- Byrne. Oh, man, that's yeah. a great, good, good, really good-looking girl there. <laughs> so uh, Cap was, was contacted by... By by the psychic people to come and rescue them, and and also rescue the defenders, and then he uh, attacks the base, or you know tries to sneak into the base, and then there's a big fight, but it it ends with all of them being captured again. Yeah, so, yeah, and then yeah. Um, we so it's kind of funny that the big plot here is that. Um, August Masters. August Masters has kind of taken over the job that the other guy in the ca- in Captain America was going to do. So the other guy in Captain America, I guess, rewrote. He he used the machine to rewrite history or like create his own version of the world. And um, what August Masters wants to do instead is use the psychic ability of these people to basically mind wipe all of USSR, all of communist Russia and therefore start a World War III that will bring about peace to the world, but through death and destruction. <laughs> yeah. Kind of an, uh, um, uh, 
very, very comic booky plot, if I do say so. Gotta love the Cold War. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Always looking for the edge. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite moment in this issue is when the these Roman soldiers um, first, like, oh, so, so Captain America finds where they are, and he's in in disguise, and these Roman soldiers come and kind of r- tackle him to the ground and rip off his costume and realize it's Captain America, and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it, it, and it, it's great because, you know, he has, a, I guess, a mask on that's a, you know, a face, and they pull off the face, and he and has a, the mask underneath. The mask underneath it. It's great. <laughs> so funny. I love it. Yep. But right. it, it was cool to see some of these characters come back, like Ursula. Uh, what are these? And Philip, the little kid, the woman and the kid who are the telepaths. And if you listen to our episode, um, Dawn's Early Light, that Jason, or sorry, that Jared and I did, um, we told their, we talked about them quite a quite a lot in that issue that was one of our favorite issues in the book i think wasn't it yeah that that was yeah my my personal favorite in that book and and i thought it was just going to be a a one-off story i had no idea those these characters came back yeah it's cool to see them so right right yeah and an interesting thing for the defenders here is that this story continues from a few issues ago uh from issue 102 um and then i think it's 102 right Well, they've actually been building on this story for quite some time, going all the way back to uh, Defenders 32 is when you first meet Wendy. Um, Or Mindy. Yeah, Mindy Williams. Right. And uh, and more specifically in terms of the line that we are going to be talking about when we talk about the Avengers, you start really getting a a bigger sense of this in Marvel Team Up 101. But slowly but surely been seeding this story for quite some time yeah but the interesting thing about this one is that by the end of cap 268 we have several of the defenders captured that never happened in the defenders book so in the defenders 105 it's kind of an abrupt shift no it did happen though oh does it i don't remember it so if you go to to let me see if i can find it Uh, to me it came off as as jarring because i didn't remember it happening anywhere else but if you got a recollection of it, I'll go with your... It, it does happen. I just have to find it. Okay, so let's see. On, on page 300 there, they just won the court case. It happens after that. Um, it's just an interlude. Oh, those crazy interludes. Okay. Yeah. That starts to make a little bit more sense then. Here it is, 329. On page 329, you see some... Uh, Gangster guys right. show yep. up. That's it, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. They blow their gas guns, and then Matt and Murdoch and the people are, are unconscious, but the defenders have disappeared. That's correct. All right, yep. good. I feel I can sleep at night now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But that was a couple of issues ago. Like, that was... Um, they. Uh, there, there have been some things that have happened in, and the Captain America issue in here that uh, so you don't exactly remember it happening you do c- r- come in right into the middle of the action which is always a cool technique in storytelling it's like the, f- the splash page everybody's dead now let's back up and see what happened to get them to this point always Absolute. effective yep. and at this time the Defenders roster is pretty expansive and so they can pick and choose stories from a number of characters and uh, and run with it. So you can get lost, as I just did, uh, <laughs> right. fairly easily in uh, <laughs> in all the different moving parts on the chessboard of the defenders. Yeah. So wh- one thing I I noticed in the it says 
in the Captain America issue where it first transitions to, you know, Cap and Bernie coming out of the movie. Uh, it, it says uh, we move ahead some weeks after, you know, from the, the opening scene where all the defenders are unconscious. Right. So they've been kidnapped for however long. Right. A uh, few yeah. weeks. <laughs> Actually, the narrative is kind of weird in this one because you have um, it intersperses the storytelling of these two different timelines, basically one that happened a few weeks ago and then one that happens the Captain America line that happens present day. They keep kind of jumping back and forth. Yeah. Okay. So, so were the, uh, were those defenders in the previous couple issues, like, were they just not there for a while? They or? weren't. No, the, the, the previous issue focused only on, um, a story about the beast and Dr. Strange and, and Mr. Fantastic. So it's like, um, mm. they, yeah, they didn't show up and I didn't even notice them gone. Like, um, because, like Jason was saying, the cast is so expansive that uh, the way the Defenders works is you only get two or three characters in any given issue. You don't, you seldom see the whole team because it's a non-team. You seldom yeah. see all of them all together at once. And oftentimes, mm. the Defenders also acted like a uh, soft team-up book, where yeah. you would get other characters just appearing. And hanging out for maybe an issue or two and then disappearing. So issue 105, for example, you have uh, Mr. Fantastic making an appearance. Um, and he, oh, he even gets into the corner box. <laughs> His face gets in the corner <laughs> box. Um, and then he's not there anymore. Um, so, yeah, mm, easy to okay. lose track of your characters. It is. Right. <laughs> so let's move on to number 106. Jason, do you want to give us a little recap of this one? Issue 106. Okay, this is a fun one. So... This is going to be the conclusion of this uh, story arc that has been bringing us forward with um, uh, Masters for quite some time. And um, with Sinnott, you have Clea makes the, uh, or kind of reaches out to some of the defenders to come and give a helping hand as uh, the other ones are, are held up. So we get the defenders rushing in. Big fights happen, of course. And ultimately, we're going to have really one of the emotional gut punches of the Defenders book. And that is where you get the conclusion of the Nighthawk story. Now, I don't know what your relationship with Nighthawk is coming into Defenders. Have any of you guys have any feelings towards this character? <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> None whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> I've, read, um, I've read Squadron Supreme and... Uh, and that's about it. Uh, um, I think I stated at the beginning of this episode that we're recording that I have um, my real introduction to Nighthawk is kind of this book. Well, here's the thing about Nighthawk. Nighthawk is me personally. I've had a love and hate relationship with this character. On one hand, he comes off like the Marvel version of Batman, you know, rich kid, yep. um, kind of has the nighttime sort of powers. But unlike the Batman, he is whiny as all get out in the early <laughs> issues of this book. Um, just yeah. constantly whining and constantly pining over girls and then never quite doing anything about it. Um, always buying himself out of trouble, uh, which is the epitome of having the superpower really being <laughs> money. However... When De Mateus gets a hold of these characters, and I'm going to be talking about this in the Defenders 
uh, concentrated stories. De Mateus takes this book in a direction that is, starts to become much more personal, much more focused. And so he's going to bring these characters through the ringer. He is going to beat the tar out of these characters and then build them back up. And this is the storyline where Nighthawk finally, finally emerges from the whiny um, clown that he has been to really being a fellow who starts taking responsibility for himself, realizing some of the issues that he has gone wrong on, and ultimately has to make the ultimate sacrifice. This is going to be the issue that brings us the death of, of Nighthawk. Um, now, granted, of course, being Marvel, it doesn't last all that terribly long. Not long uh, at all. <laughs> <laughs> not long at all. But it is going to carry him through the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, and so, to that extent, at least, there is quite a little bit of, uh, or quite a bit of um, emotional punch to this. Um, one might argue that it's kind of a, a setup death in the sense that it probably could have been avoided, but with the complex about to explode, he has to turn to Doctor Strange and say, get everybody out. I'm the focal point for all this psychic power that's being built up. They need me as a focal point, and so save yourselves. Um, the wonderful thing about this issue, though, is it also, is a, as, a, as a credit to De Mateus' writing, it's also one of these issues where you're going to get real effects upon the characters themselves, where they end up feeling this death, um, and especially with the next issue, uh, for quite some time to come. But, yeah, this is a great issue. You have some really good character beats. Doctor Strange, for example, he has this one great moment where he's possessing one of these Roman guys and then gets knocked out. And that knocks out his physical form, um, which pretty much puts everything on the line for uh, uh, for Kyle Richmond, Nighthawk, to do what he has to do. So what were your guys' impressions? Coming from a point of very little association with Nighthawk, what did you, what did you get out of this issue? What do you think? He had, he had uh, some, some cool moments, I think. Uh, but I still overall, I, it, I guess not knowing, not reading any of the, the build up to this, I, I don't know, you know, his death didn't really affect me. But I, okay. I guess that would be different if I had been reading the entire series up to this point. So, <laughs> yeah, that would be different coming from a, as a Captain America fan at this crossover that that punch wouldn't really hit, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I haven't read any of the other Defenders, so I don't... I mean, just, so it didn't really have much of, a, much of an impact for you. How about you, Curtis? It did, uh, did you feel a little punch on that one? Yeah, I did, and I'm not familiar with the whiny Nighthawk. I mean, I am a little <laughs> bit because of the beginning, but because I started on this book with, on Defenders with the Six-Fingered Hand volume, like, I haven't right. read anything before this... So my introduction to Nighthawk is just what Demetrius is doing here. And so I, I really enjoyed the arc. I, I found that this was, um, yeah, it was an orchestrated sort of calculated on, on, on the part of the, the writer kind of a death. Um, but it worked well for his character arc. And it's definitely a sense of like, this is going to be the rebirth of this character. He's going to come back because in a few issues that's, that's still in the same volume, he comes back. Um, it, it's gonna. It's. 
I like to. I, I definitely am interested to seeing where he goes next. So while it wasn't didn't have the same punch as I don't know when Superman died, I guess. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but it was, um, or even like I guess Jean I didn't. Gray is a great one for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time. <laughs> it 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 still. I, I really like the follow up issue where they really process Oof. and talk about the death Oof. so let's uh well i mean we'll save we'll save that conversation for when we get into that issue but another thing uh i'll jump in on with this with these two issues is um i thought the visual effect of mindy's power manifestation as these shadow rats that just begin tearing people apart wasn't that cool that, that <laughs> yeah. was great yeah <laughs> totally oh uh, what a creepy power manifestation that looked fantastic on the page it really pops and especially how she tears up uh, Kyle Richmond there, or Nighthawk, uh, just rips the whole costume off of him. It really uh, left me with a visceral feeling for what she was capable of. And I also love about the, these issues is that um, Damatez doesn't pull any punches. He's not letting Kyle Richmond off easy for being the screw-up that he was, which ultimately cost her her, her, her legs, put her in the hospital. You know, when he first meets her, she laughs at him. Uh, she blames him for so much of it. And, yeah, just for me, being the fan of the Defenders like I am, I was on the fence almost saying, Mindy, you go, you go, girl. You tell him. <laughs> <laughs> you, let him you let him have it. But then also, despite my love-hate relationship for him, I was, I was ready to accept Kyle by the end of that arc as well. Well, and that's I good feeling the death of him yeah well that's good i mean that shows that um i like it when 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 such a drastic character change happens over a period um it has to happen over a period it can't be just like a night and day kind of thing otherwise you'd be like that's out of character exactly but for him to sacrifice himself it did feel like he was doing something that was in character to where he was at that moment yeah and it was mm -hmm. totally earned yeah, it, it was it was totally earned for the audience. It was totally earned for the character, and a little bit of a hint that you mentioned that you see him at the last page of the Defenders book. That's not exactly what you think it is, but no. we'll have to wait till Ash <laughs> to Ash for that one. Yeah, I haven't read the following volume yet, so but I have it on my shelf. I'll have to pull it out and uh, start reading that one too. Um, okay, so a couple of things just before we sign off here with this issue is that uh, look how many inkers are on this issue. We have one, two, three. There are four inkers. One of them is the editor of the book. So I'm guessing that there were definitely some deadline issues, especially if Al Milgram's going, saying, okay, I guess I just got to do this myself because we got to get the book out. This is a problem that plagues the Defenders from start to finish. Yeah. I do like Al Milgram's inks. He kind of has a, a, hard, a harsh kind of style to it. How about that splash page? Yeah. Where you see Doctor Strange uh, with the, the psychic experience and just seems to be losing it. Uh, that, I love that splash page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, go to page 396. And uh, there in the bottom, the bottom two panels, uh, the, the defenders <laughs> are in Roman disguises. And one of the guys starts to do a roll call and he yells out two names, Ween and Berger. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure those are references, of course, to Len Wein and Karen Berger, who are uh, um, longtime associates. So um, Berger, I think, is mainly a DC person. I don't know that she did a whole lot of Marvel work. 
Um, but they both worked on Swamp Thing, Len Wein and, and Karen Berger. But I and I don't know mm. if Kowalski is a res, uh, is a reference to somebody. I I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I can't uh, can't speak to that one either. I love that the guy has long hair that's slipping out the bottom of his Roman helmet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Like, son, it, get a haircut. <laughs> right. I mean, it almost looks like, you know, big, bushy sideburns. Yeah, know? I'm thinking like, like Andre, the, Andre the Giant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, um, okay, my last comment for this issue, and then um, you guys can give any last comments if you want. If you go to page 403, there is this one panel that has so much text in it. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't believe this. It's like that, it's not, this is so not typical of... Uh, of either Demetrius or um, Don Perlin to put a panel like this in, in mm-hmm. their books. So, and I wonder if it was just a, a time-saving thing, or if they realized that they didn't have as many pages as they they needed, so they had to put all of this expository text into one giant panel because um, breaking it up into multiple panels would have taken up too much space. I love it though because here's where you get your chance to hear Kyle really cut a wrestling promo <laughs> <lack of energy. laughs> yeah. oh yeah 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 it's still good August but masters. it's just unusual he wants to let this guy now it's my turn to explain masters <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> awesome great moralization here moralizing okay do you guys have any other comments here um well one thing towards the beginning of the issue where i, I really like where uh Beast and Daredevil almost collide when they're both going to Doctor Strange's house. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, I don't know, just kind of a silly little thing, you know, but <laughs> Beast isn't paying attention, I guess, and then almost runs into Daredevil and then he gets mad at him and he's like, oh, it's Daredevil, it's okay. <laughs> so one of, my, one of my friends from the, um, uh, from the Facebook group blog Dominic Brazada, who's probably the number one Defenders fan in the world. Um, <laughs> he made a, a comment, which I keep tracking, trying to track down, but I can't seem to find it. But he said that uh, in this story, Daredevil figures out that Gargoyle's heart is in his lower back, which I found hilarious. I uh, wish I could find the page. <laughs> what? So, yeah, apparently when Daredevil hears Gargoyle's heart, he's like, this guy's heart is in the wrong place. <laughs> That's awesome. I missed that. <laughs> I missed it too. Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Jared, for joining us for this uh, this crossover. We appreciate uh, taking the time to to be a part of this episode too. Yeah. Yeah. No Great problem. Meeting you, Jared. Yeah. Nice talking to you. Okay. So this next issue, issue number one hundred and seven, is called "On Death and Dying," and it is sort of the conclusion to. Uh, the last issue that we saw, um, Captain America gets one page at the beginning here, uh, or I guess one or two pages, to just uh, kind of wrap up his involvement in this story. And uh, wow, this is this is a big mm. issue, because we are reeling over the fact that Nighthawk has sacrificed himself, and then in the most dishonorable way possible, Valkyrie is shot in the back and killed. Mm. And it's just, it's, you're completely shocked. And you can see the look of shock on all of their faces uh, and on page 411. And the scream, the wailing of Hellcat at the, at the bottom mm. is just, it's so, uh, you feel more for this death than you do for Nighthawk. 
is just such a nothing death. Yeah. It comes out of nowhere. She is depicted as crying in the upper panel of 410 over Nighthawk. And this, this, this loon in his Roman Empire uniform and his blaster just shoots her from behind. It's a visceral piece of art, too. You can see her cape is tearing away. Her eyes seem to be rolling its back. There's even a, a piece of spit that seems to be coming out of her mouth. The use of color emphasizes this, this reds and oranges. Yeah. Uh, we'll contrast uh, with the white background. Yeah. Absolutely. And this the is the issue that red. doesn't have a comic code on the front. Mm. So, and probably because of this death scene right here, because it's an on-panel death, whereas the other one was off-panel. Yeah. But yeah, so more on this issue. Um, so the defenders have a wake for her and Nighthawk. And then um, we learn pretty quickly right away, in fact, that um, that Val is not actually dead. She's stuck in limbo because this is... Now, this is something I didn't know about Valkyrie because I'm not up on her history. Uh, the body that she's currently in here was not her own body. Her, her her soul or spirit has been put in the body of somebody else. And so when that body was destroyed, her spirit was released and is just kind of stuck now without anywhere to go. Let me jump in a little bit on this one. Sure. Because Valkyrie's origin is one of the most convoluted origins you will <laughs> okay. get in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Okay, so in issue four of The Defenders, this is where we get uh, Barbara Norris, who had, I believe, been possessed by the power of Valkyrie at one point. But at this point, she gets taken over, or her soul gets, gets taken over by this creature called the, the Unnameable, I believe it was. Um, and it's this weird Lovecraftian-looking beast that has... Um, three sort of beasts kind of slammed up together onto it. So she's eventually gets her independence from that thing. But yeah, the nameless one, uh, it's actually issue three is what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking about here. But in the process of being conjoined with this weird monster, it made her soul spirit, if you will, go insane. So, with that being the case, the spirit was kind of put on hold as the spirit of Valkyrie then came over the body of Barbara Norris. And so the Valkyrie that we've had since issue three is really the spirit of Valkyrie inhabiting Barbara Norris. So it's the body of Barbara Norris that is now dead. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it does in its own way. Comic book sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is what we're mourning, um, and this helps kind of put in perspective what's going to happen. But I guess next. they didn't know, or they they forgot, or they didn't realize that when Barbara Norris's body was gone, that Valkyrie would, like, whatever is go has happening here would happen. They may not have even known if it was accessible, if the spirit of Valkyrie, or the, the body of Valkyrie at this point is still able to kind of come in. There's a lot of stories in Marvel 2 and 1, issue number 7 in particular, kind of picks up on the idea of her trying to find her family, the Barbara Norris family, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be an interesting one um, where you really get some, some Valkyrie backstory going on. 
and there's been a co- there's one other time where Valkyrie went to the went to Asgard and met up with the Valkyrie, and we got a sense then that maybe the spirit of Valkyrie is still is still functioning, yeah. still alive. But nobody, and it's going to become a, a point in a couple of issues. But nobody really knew exactly how that functioned or how you get her back. And there's also a subplot beginning in this one with Enchantress. She's searching for the Rose of Purity, and we don't know exactly why, but it's going to be for someone that she calls the Beloved. And coming mm-hmm. off of the last episode, or the last issue, I kind of assume since this that this is Jesus <laughs> because he's like got that the very typical long shoulder length brown hair posed with animals clad in white so but then the character turns around and the face is just light there's no actual face there so I don't know what this uh, means um, but we'll find out a little bit later I was hoping upon first uh, first sight I, ho- I was hoping it was going to be this obscure Marvel character from Marvel 2 and 1 called Aquarian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Please let it be Aquarian. <laughs> the most 70s of all characters possible. That would be awesome. It, unfortunately, it was not. <laughs> no. Now, on page four, uh, 423, um, when we first see a picture of the rose and the planet that the rose is on, did you ever read The Little Prince? I did not. That book is fantastic. It's just, it's a great book. And um, the little prince lives on a planet that is only big enough for one person to live on. And on the planet, he shares it with an active volcano and a single rose that he cares for. And Mm. this one panel reminded me so much of the little prince's planet with the the one rose on it. Interesting. Yeah. It was interesting because DeMatteis also, later on, in the next volume, he is going to do a Dr. Seuss story. Hmm. So I wonder if he was uh, with maybe having a kid at this time and raising a kid, and uh, or is he just reflecting on his own youth? I, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's great that we get a sense of Enchantress actually having some some plots that are not just necessarily evil for evil's sake, but much more flushing out something that works well within her own idea of a character, a character who seeks love. Um, And now she's looking for love in its most ideal form, uh, it seems like, in this character that I wish was Aquarian. (laughs) I love that she's going to, (laughs) I love that she's going to Camilla, a character who I believe has her roots all the way back in the Kirby era of, of, uh, of Thor. Am I right on that one? Well, her headdress and her hair are certainly <laughs> Kirby, that's for sure. How could, how could it not be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's great stuff. That's, that's interesting. It's not just, she's not just coming to try to seduce some uh, member of the Defenders. Uh, she's actually looking for purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I like that um, all after, so I, I really like the gathering of all of the heroes for this kind of the wake that they do and, and the Hulk, he has his tears. But everybody from Power Man to Spider-Man to Hawkeye, I guess all of these people have been part of the Defenders at one point. Mm-hmm. And they all just sort of unleash their power to as a tribute. On page 418, where yeah. we have the, fun- the, the funeral proper, is a f- it's a great, you got all the characters assembling. Um, I love Daredevil's covering his ears as the thunder is blasting. Oh, yeah, I'm sure uh, he would have to. It must have been horrible for him. 
Uh, one problem with this issue, the art is a little inconsistent. Oh, it is incredibly inconsistent. There are four yeah. inkers, just like the last issue. There are four yeah. inkers on this one. I think the splash page on 418 was inked by Al Milgram. Mm-hmm. And it's effective for what it is, but it doesn't fit with any of the other pages. No. And even uh, this has some of the most horrendous depictions of gargoyle. Um, like, for example, look at 412. There's three panels, and he looks like he's a tiny little doll um, in each of those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, even on 418, he doesn't seem to fit the proportions of everyone else. On 414, he looks like he's perhaps eaten too many pies. He has a little bit chubby thing going on in the bottom there. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a shame because this is such a powerful issue. Otherwise that it's a shame that the art in a couple of instances can be a bit distracting. We also see in this one, uh, Spider-Man decides to stick around out of all of the heroes that come to visit who aren't regularly kind of part of the book at this point, Spidey sticks around and serves zero purpose <laughs> through this issue and next. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I guess just to bring us up to speed here, they have a, a seance to try and contact the spirit of Valkyrie and then Enchantress comes and in, um, interrupts them all and steals the sword that is inhabiting her, that is inhabiting, sorry, that Valkyrie is inhabiting. And uh, that takes us into the next issue. So do you want to take us through the wasteland? Oh, boy, do I have to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I felt about this issue, too, right? 108 is is a tough one. It's it's enjoyable in its own way, but all right, let's just kind of, let me just kind of try to go through the plot on this one. All right, so the defenders have to find the Rose of Purity, as we mentioned, um, because the Enchantress needs to acquire that so she can convince this figure that she is in love with to love her. So it's that, that that's the MacGuffin essentially here. So the a debate happens and here's, what's good about this issue. You have a moral debate taking place because the question at hand is if they do this, it seems that enchantress is able to promise them that Valkyrie will be restored with Valkyrie's true essence. But then Dr. Strange raises the issue. What happens then to Barbara Norris. Are we willing to simply let Barbara Norris then pass on, die? Or should we do something to try to restore her? But isn't her isn't her essence like isn't she already dead? Because it's, because it's just her body that's being used right now. Her hasn't her soul already been pushed out of it to make room for Valkyrie? Maybe. We know that the soul of Barbara Norris is insane. But it, I'll put it in his words. If we go on page 434, um, Damien is very set on the idea. You know, we have to go and do this. We have to restore Valkyrie. Dr. Strange stops him. Damien, you are plunging ahead without stopping to ask the most important questions. We have, have we the right to do as the Enchantress asks? The soul of a tormented madwoman still exists within... Val's Asgardian body. If we return Val to it, what becomes of Barbara Norris? So, I love that we have this, this moral quandary. And I love when moral quandaries appear in Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. 
gets us thinking. But it's Val, or it's Hellcat, it's Patsy, the dearest friend of Val, who's going to really kind of take charge of the situation, grabs the sword, and says, look, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do this. And so leading her team, they go off to the strange planet. Yeah, it divides the team. It does. Because the people who are dead set against it, like Doctor Strange, don't go with her. Mm-hmm. We get the Hulk. Um, he's easy to convince. Namor, yeah. who's man of action, and, of course, Damian and, uh, and uh, Hellcat. Yeah, they're all the hard-headed, we-just-want-action people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fine <laughs> with it, with going <laughs> through with it. All right, so here's where, <laughs> here's where the comic gets odd. So we go to this planet, and there's two inhabitants there. There's this blue ogre with four eyes and two tentacles that come out of his belly. Yeah. And his girlfriend, a red uh, creature, a beautiful lady figure, with white, long, flowing white hair and a harp. And when we first meet them, they're dancing. <laughs> uh, the question then, we get another moral quandary. If, we, if they chop down this rose... They these creatures worship this rose, so and they might even exist because of this rose. So destroying that might very well destroy them. At first, the or at least it would be insensitive to their their culture and their religion. Like, and that's something that um, you know, up here in Canada at least, we're dealing with a lot of um, um, you know the the way that white settlers came in and destroyed all of the first nations and native canadian um culture mm. and and that kind of things like that was so inappropriate to do and that's kind of what they're thinking of doing right here no we're just going to take what we need for our own purposes regardless of how it affects you and your your own lifestyle yeah yeah and <laughs> great uh, it seems that Hulk is the guy put in charge of diplomacy here. <laughs> because on the page, <laughs> off of page 442, uh, the Blue Ogre says, you want to take our god? No. Then Hulk, of course, says yes and punches the guy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, to the Blue Guy's credit, he puts up a decent fight. Um, so much so that the center of action falls upon uh, Hellcat. She has Val's sword. She has Dragon Fang. And she's about ready to cut down the, the rose, Rose of Purity. The red female cries out to her, No, I beg you! Can't you see what you're doing? What you've already done? Puts the point to Hellcat. Will you destroy us for this? And Hellcat balks at this. She can't do it. She says, I, I couldn't do it. There is nothing wrong with you, Patsy, unless you consider decency and caring and affliction. That's what Val says from the sword. Mm -hmm. Enchantress is not having this, um, <laughs> as one might imagine. However, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Gargoyle, and the Beast appear in the Enchantress's lair. They begin having a throwdown, a fight, and that's when this figure who the Enchantress is in love with, find out that it's actually love itself, love personified. Which would actually be Jesus, if we're following the biblical threads of this book. Mm. 
Well, yeah. But it's not really. And I think no, she even... It's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. As I understand, love, there's, what is it, mistress love and master hate or something like that? Oh, yeah. Are these uh, two cosmological characters within the Marvel Universe? Yeah. Well, and mistress <laughs> death is the one that Thanos is in love with as well in the Infinity yeah. story. Oh, that's great stuff. <laughs> you guys did a great job on that one, too. That oh, was thanks. fun. That was a fun listen. Um, yeah, so Love rejects the Enchantress for being selfish. And then we get Valkyrie reunited with her body, complete now with a, or with, gets her own body, I guess, back, complete with a brand new costume. <laughs> what do you think of this costume? I think it is awful. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. It's not nearly as, uh, it just doesn't seem as Guardian, I guess. No, no, Compared I'm, I'm a, one. I'm a traditionalist. She's gone through a few different costumes over the course of this series. This one and a gold one. I don't particularly care for either of those. I like the black with the cone boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's my personal favorite. And I think that's that's most uh most people's personal favorites too. As for Barbara Norris, well, love takes Barbara Norris away. Come Barbara Norris, he says on page four fifty. Right. Who has had a life so full of anguish, so full of misery and pain? Leave the body of Broomhild, the Valkyrie. Let your soul be free. Let it rise into my waiting arms. Let us walk the halls of forever together. So it's almost like Barbara Norris's soul is embraced by love and then taken off. And I, and, and I guess this ties into what you were saying about uh, a god figure yep. into heaven. Probably. Yeah complicated issue <laughs> it's very complicated a little confusing now what i find interesting is that mark grunewald gives it gets credited for plot assists mm. so i don't know what that means and i don't know if that's like he had a story he wanted to tell and he, they fit it in here or or what i just don't know what that means but he also gets um this next issue 109 he's credited as the scripter along with jm demetius um neither of them are credited as writers what's the difference then between a scripter and a writer the scripter um someone else does the plot hands it over to the artist to lay it out in the marvel fashion and then the scripter writes the dialogue and places it uh like writes the dialogue for the whole issue okay yeah this next issue 109 also has a darn don perlin doing breakdowns as opposed to doing pencils yeah and which, then Sinat comes in and cleans up everything which is yeah which is nice i think that's his best that's when joe works the best is when he yeah. gets to do the finishes um but that's i don't know it seems like don is having some scheduling issues or something like that because these last few issues have all been um, like four inkers. So he's like been really, really slow. And so in this issue, he's not even doing full pencils. He's only doing breakdowns, um, mm. which is just the lightest, like the roughest um, l amount of, of work to indicate what's going on in on the panel so the, the inker can finish the job and fully flesh everything out well if we're talking about multiple hands at the story then perhaps we can talk or that it's indicative of maybe some delays in even getting to dawn yeah that's true it could be 
Um, but I am amazed that this entire book is every single issue is drawn by Don Perlin. Like even the double size issue one hundred, mm-hmm. um, he does the ones before and after, and all the way to the end. All the way. Th- that's incredible. That yep. is. We're gonna get him until uh, until one twenty five with no fill in issues, like with no uh, fill in artists. Uh, I mean, perhaps one or two. We'll have to keep an eye out for that because that's like Jack Kirby kind of quality uh consistency there yeah but uh, again the he's he's let down frequently by subpar inkers right especially later on yeah and um in and perlin really benefits from a from a strong inking hand yeah i think so, so too yeah so we're gonna get get into that some of some of that stuff down the road <laughs> okay so let's tackle this last issue in this book here all Number right. 109, Vengeance, Cries the Valkyrie. Now, this is the final, this is the face-off between Valkyrie and Enchantress. Now, um, I don't know if they have what their big history is, um, because Enchantress has been holding uh, the body of Brunhilde, but I don't know if that's like been something that she's had for a long time or if she's just come across it recently or something like that. But, okay. Okay, you um, clue me in. <laughs> right. So she was she created or I think she actually possessed the body of Brunhild way 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 back in the first appearances um where she sent him against the Hulk uh all the way that far back. Um then I believe the second time Valkyrie shows up is with the Lady Liberty story arc in the Avengers. And there again, she's under the influence of the Enchantress. When we finally get the Enchantress coming into the Defender, she comes in as a good guy by rejecting the Enchantress. However, the Enchantress put a curse upon her that she can never hurt another female, which led to some really crazy stories in some of the earlier issues of the uh, of the Defenders in particular when poor Valkyrie has to go to jail and she's getting picked on by other prisoners and she can't defend herself or one of the silliest stories is when he she uh, can't fight against female looking robots from tapping Tommy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in a great Bill Mantlo issue um, but that is going to end here uh, when she finally gets her full independence from uh, from the Enchantress. Nice, that's cool, and what a great what a great sequence this is of her just unleashing her um, her fury and her anger at at Enchantress. Mm. It's so good. Literally, um, a, it's almost a steel cage match as the crimson bands of Kitarak are put around them to keep them isolated. <laughs> <laughs> So that Valkyrie could really tee off on uh, on the Enchantress. And I love the panel where Valkyrie throws Dragonfang, um, and it just barely misses the Enchantress, and she's horrified. Yeah. <laughs> the thought bubble, I, I hadn't expected so forward an attack. It missed me by a hair's breadth. <laughs> and she looks stunned by it all. Yeah, this is uh, this is kind of what what things have been building to this whole time. I'm glad that it ended with this issue. It's a logical place for this whole book to end because um, mm-hmm. it ties up a bunch of 
just little threads that have been going on. And so what's really cool is the, the last scene here. The concept of God is played, of course, we've seen it played throughout this entire book here. Now we get to meet Odin. Mm. And um, who, of course, is Valkyrie's god, godhead or god figure, and uh, it's really interesting that she's got this love-hate relationship with him, mm. um, but still embraces him at the end. Um, and and the really cool thing about this part is that Odin um, asks for forgiveness for trespasses for not coming to her her aid when she needed it in the past mm -hmm. um so a very uh, that and that's something that's not typically seen of a god figure like asking like saying that they're in the wrong or asking for forgiveness and such so it's uh it's just neat a neat interaction i'm glad that they they put that in here because we've seen so many different concepts especially when you contrast this with the relationship between satan and uh, son of satan so very different. Mm. And it's such a strong, strong series of panels where she really, I mean, she gives, she gives the all father some, some good tongue lashing here. I mean, page 464, surely thou heardest of my half revival on earth in the body of a mortal. And, uh, and then even at the bottom, of course I refused. I was no longer a true goddess. I was still trapped in a mortal form. And after centuries of thy neglect, I was not about to heed the call as if nothing had happened. Wow. There's some real anger pent up inside of Valkyrie. And uh, I think it's, it's fantastic that as a contrast, kind of like what you were saying, build upon what you were saying with Satan. Yeah. Here we have a different form of fatherhood. If we want to just boil it down to that. Yeah, Here right. we have a forgiving father, a, a loving, though neglectful father, absolutely, but a loving one. One that is offering affection at the end without any strings attached to it, without any bells and whistles. Um, and even one who cries for Valkyrie when she leaves. And you, at least for me, I got a sense that Valkyrie doesn't leave completely purged a bitterness towards Odin on this one. No, this is going to take some time to heal for sure. Yeah, it's a very real relationship in that sense. And you juxtapose that against Son of Satan and, and Satan himself. <laughs> Satan tells him, Welp! <laughs> the sight of you disgust me! Get out of here! Um, so, yeah, a very two very good depictions of fatherhood, but as well as, as a deity are uh, on display within this this concise little uh, little bit of storytelling. Yeah. So the uh, so we've seen sort of a really big change in character with Devil Slayer, with Nighthawk, with Valkyrie, Son of Satan, Gargoyle. We can also talk speak to before we wrap things up. We can also speak to Hellcat almost as well coming to a sense of a parent-sibling sort of relationship when she confronts Dolly on 470. And she's had to be so strong over these issues as so many bad things have happened and confusing things have happened. Is she the, the daughter of Satan or is she not? What is her background? And I love that we just have her break down. 
She's in a safe environment. She has this woman who's been there her whole life in a way that her mother has been neglectful. It's just kind of, it's really quite beautiful. It is. It's really moving. And um, they they did it with so few words, which is perfect. They, it's conveyed Absolutely. in the raw emotion of the drawing. And it's it's something that stands out in its time. I mean, comics, let's face it, comics of, our, of this era tended to be very uh, male-centric. So spending this amount of, pass, uh, of panels developing a female, uh, a female story, daughter-mother-surrogate story, and even the relationship, the friendships. On 472, you see her reflecting upon her deep friendships in that picture with her and Clea and, and Valkyrie. I mean, this, to me, stands out as quite distinct for the era. Nowadays, you see a lot more of this, and I think Marvel's better for, for having this um, and appealing much more to, to the female readership yeah. in a way that it didn't during the 80s. But this book does. This book, this book really takes the time for that. It's wonderful. And so she leaves the team and steps out on her own for what purpose we're not too sure. I hope we see her in the next, in the next volume. Um, we will. I'm sure we will. She seems to be a mainstay of the Defenders. But yeah, the book ends on a little cliffhanger because out of the blue, your old buddy Nighthawk is back from the dead. <laughs> so we, we just have to leave it at that and see what happens in the next book. So as a person who is new to the Defenders, has your opinion of this book elevated is it the same? What is your, what, what's your final analysis on, on the Defenders? Well, I don't think I had an opinion um, of the Defenders before this because I had literally no op opinion of them, really. <laughs> I, I didn't mm -hmm. know enough about the book to know whether... I only really knew hearsay, like what, people, what, what people's own personal opinions were. And like you said, it was quite divided. But... I am a fan, like I think I said this in the last episode, I am a fan of J.M. DeMatteis, and so I was happy to see that this lived up to that. There is, there's so much to chew on. It's so thick and rich with um, moral issues, the religious subtext of it all, and um, and just uh, getting to know these characters. Uh, it's, mm. it's It was fascinating. And I'm going to say that I think the Six-Fingered Hand story was actually the low point of this book. I loved the stuff that came after it even more. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, I'd have to chew on that. <laughs> um, I, I am a huge fan of, of, of the character moments. Yes. Uh, so I tend, to, I, I tend to agree with you to an extent. But you don't get those character moments until unless you get the six finger hand. Right, they work together for sure. But I just think of like, um, uh, just the 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 emotional. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you have to to take them as a whole, which is why it's great that they're all in one book. But, mm. um, but yeah, just the the haunting of the queen, the Christians bro ish issue. Um, the whole Captain America crossover I thought was excellent. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the death, death, sorry, the death of Valkyrie going to mm. going into that world inside the crystal. Like there are so many really cool um, elements and moments that I liked more than 
uh, I mean, the story of the Six Finger Hand, quite frankly, was pretty straight ahead with just uh, each issue got to find a demon and exercise yeah. the demon in each each issue carrying forward. Um, Story-wise, I didn't think that there was much more to it than that. Yeah, I, 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 you got me sold. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good MacGuffin chase. Yep, oh, for sure. Six Finger Hand is that. Um, it's a very easy story to follow. Um, for the people listening who've never read The Defenders, this is a great starting point. It is. You're going to be introduced to characters that you've known from other books. So you have no problem with those guys. But you're also going to get, perhaps in many cases, the first real deep dive into the characters of these ancillary folks. Whether it's Devil Slayer, Valkyrie, Son of Satan highlighted, of course. Um, and yeah, if, if you are coming to this for the first time, uh, you're in for a treat. So there are a couple of, um, there's some actually really nice um, original art pages at the end of the epic collection. There's there's really not much in the way of bonus features in this in this book, but we yeah. get um, a front cover for 108 plus the double page spread from Defenders 94 and the double page spread from Defenders 100 by Don and Sinnott, and it's just really, really cool. And also the mm. splash page from 105, which is also awesome. Uh, so that's kind of nice to have there, but um, otherwise, what did you think of this epic collection as a whole, just the, the package of it? Oh, as I was saying before, I, I love the updating, especially in terms of the colors. Yeah. Um, I love how that gets cleaned up. I love that we have the concise storytelling uh, within the format, which really works better in this one than I think in some of the other epic collections I've I've read. Um, everything from the introduction of the Eternity story, which plays a key role in the Six-Fingered Hand, to the ending, which on the surface focuses on Valkyrie, but then again ties into these relationships, these familial relationships that we've been uh, playing around with all throughout the Six-Fingered Hand. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's 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 a really good way to bring everything together in one, especially when you have long-form storytelling like uh, Dame Matias is bringing to the book. Well, I can't wait to dive into the next volume. I'm going to have to wait, though. I'd love to read it right now, but I've got to read my other material for my other episodes. But I will have you back on the show when uh, we cycle back around through my co-hosts, and it's your turn again. Um, to talk about the next volume, Volume 7, Ashes, Ashes. It will be my pleasure to do so. Nice. This is, a, this is fun, and I am excited that you are excited over the Defenders. Yeah. I, I'm also excited to explore the other eras of Defenders that are radically different than this, too. So we'll see, um, we'll see where this line takes us, because I know they, they look like they're going to play out the rest of like the new Defenders before mm -hmm. they jump back to doing old stuff. I hope they do jump back to the old stuff but you said that they had already printed the scorpio story for the moon knight they did that in moon knight and the avengers defenders crossover is in a, an avengers volume already as well so there's right. lots to to chew on if we wanted to kind of dive into some of the other stuff but we'll see which old actual defenders volumes are released coming up in the future here great well there we go and <laughs> thank you very much for joining me on this one jason it has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.